Sing it from your heart. Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, right now. Hallelujah. What are we going to do? We lift our hands. We lift our hands. Our knees and worship Once again, praise God. Let's sing it together now, everybody. Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Oh, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need you, Father, we so need you today, but you know us. That's nothing new. We need you every day. I know there's people in this world that live their life without you, and they think they're getting on pretty good. They are able to fulfill a portion of their dreams and what they desire to accomplish, able to have an element of what they think is peace fulfill their life's hopes and dreams. Then they breathe their last breaths. Their friends gather around them, say nice complimentary things. But then there's people like us. Our dreams are what you want us to be, really. Our ambitions are what you desire. I know we seem peculiar and strange, maybe to the world, but our dreams are washed. Our ambitions are washed. Our desires are washed. Washed by the water of the Word. So in all reality, not saying that we don't have human ambitions and things, but what's more important to us is your will for our lives. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this gathering together, together today of your children. And we just ask you that you take your Word and speak to us. It's been wonderful just to be here so far hearing the songs, the saints of God worshiping together. Now we ask your blessings on the word. Help us today, Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be together today in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. 
also St. John 11, verse 32. I'm going to speak to you again today on a little fox of an unsurrendered heart. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. St. John eleven thirty-two. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. May the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. Truly, God's variety of Christians is so diverse. You've got those that are so strong and those that are so stable. God loves those, certainly. You've got others that are more, tend to be more unstable, more wishy-washy. They are greatly influenced by things around them. Greatly influenced by people sometimes. What's sad is sometimes the wrong people. And what's amazing is the Lord loves them as well. Amen. You've got some that ain't nothing but just headaches, heartaches, backaches, toe aches, and trouble aches to God. And God loves them too, Amen. which is most of us. Amen. I thank God he loves people like that. Amen. Now, it'd be nice to be a David. It'd be nice to be a great hero in the Bible. It'd be nice to be some of those people that have caused God very few problems. I don't know too many of those people personally. I'm sure there's some. But I'm so grateful that his love is able to reach to people that are weak, people that fall short of the glory of God. They even fall short of their own anticipation of what they desire to be for God. And yet God loves them. He loves them, and He loves them with an eternal love that surpasses all of their human weaknesses. I love that about Him. Because we as humans, we'll be honest here today, we as humans, we tend to gravitate toward the heroic type. We've all got heroes in our life. Now, whether yours was Roy Rogers or Zorro or, you know, whoever it was, every one of us had some type of a hero. There's something about it. That's why those things go over in life. That's why Hollywood has made millions and millions of dollars about it. Because people tend to gravitate toward great people. But the truth and reality of it is, there's only a few heroes like that in life. There's maybe one or two in a generation, and the rest of them are more common type of people. But yet God has the ability of being able to love both. And if you can understand it, love them equally. Or surely he loves those that have a great heroic stand and a great heroic faith where they're able to stand for God. But he loves those that sometimes when the pressure comes against them, they get a little bit weak. And in reality, they look at themselves and they become greatly disappointed at what they see. And yet the love of God is able to reach to them beyond all of that. Our setting today again is St. John chapter 11. The Lord Jesus has been beckoned. It is the fourth day since Lazarus has now passed. 
At that day, of course, there was no embalming in the sense of the Egyptians. Only one Hebrew historically was embalmed, and that was King Asa. Other than that, every other Hebrew had uh, herbs and things like that that they would wrap their body in and use a muslin type of cloth. And within a, a period of a couple of days, the stench of the human body would begin to overpower the frankincense, the myrrh, the aloes, the cinnamon, and so on that they had put together. So it is now the fourth day. It seems as if so Jesus is four days late. It seems as if so that he has forsaken his friends, which have been through so much. We know Mary and Martha made tapestry, and they actually had suffered quite a reproach because of the Lord Jesus. They had given up a, a, quite a, a standing among the Pharisees. They had given up a standing in the synagogue. They had lost lots of friends because of the Lord Jesus. And in their time of great need, instead of Jesus coming running to them, Jesus delayed, and Jesus delayed, and Jesus delayed. Now it is the fourth day. As I told you last night, the morning went from day one, two, and three to the stage they called the weeping until the morning, which was the heavy lamenting and the crying, which took place from day four through day seven. Now it's day four, so they've already entered into this type of lamenting and heavy crying. And the Lord Jesus shows up, and he, of course, now begins to try to stir the, uh, the weak faith that Martha has in him, and Martha trying to be able to put Jesus in a box, as it were. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, well, your brother will raise up. Yes, he will raise up at the last day, again, placing him in another box. Because Martha uh, does not have a complete surrendered heart and will to be able to comprehend what the Lord Jesus is. So he, he takes the doctrine of the resurrection out of the Scripture and embodies it in himself and says, I am the resurrection believest thou this. Yea, I believe thou art the Christ, the Messiah. You're coming to the earth, and I do believe that. But she avoided, of course, his answer, or the answer to the question that he asked. Now, here we come to where Martha has now left the Lord Jesus, left him standing where it was that she had met him. She's went over to her sister Mary and told Mary uh, that the Master has come and is calling for thee. Now, Mary was always more spiritually stable than Martha was. Mary was the one that, that Martha constantly complained to the Lord Jesus. Mary uh, was the type that, you know, food had to be fixed and the beds had to be made and the floors had to be swept and all that sort of thing. But yet Mary's priority was sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And, and Martha had a problem with it because Martha said, Lord, why don't you send her over here to help me to do the work? I'm having to do all this now. And remember, you are Mary and Martha both. So there's a part of you that, that takes care of all the natural things, and if you're not careful, that'll be the part that'll get in the way of Mary. It'll be the part that say, well, it won't really matter if you miss church tonight. You know, God understands you got to do this, that, and other. That's your Martha part. But Mary will say, you know what? I need to sit at the feet of Jesus because that's where I get my strength. That's where I get my help. But even little Mary became overwhelmed by the atmosphere that Martha had created. So whenever she comes to where the Lord Jesus says, she says basically the same thing. If you had been here, my brother had not died, which is the same thing that Martha had said. Now, here the Lord Jesus, he does not rebuke them. He does not chastise them. He simply tries to help their faith ascend to a higher level. He knows they're not born again, but yet he knows all 
also that they're beneath capacity, capacity that a person in that day not being born again could attain to. They've never yet arrived to the place that the woman was the daughter that had a devil. This woman had powerful faith. This woman had faith that surpassed most of what the disciples had. So he knew that they could be able to rise a little bit higher, being closer and intimate friends, you would think they would have that. But apparently there was a commonality that they'd been able to perceive about Jesus, and maybe that kind of hindered them a little bit. Notice in verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit. He groaned in the spirit. Now, the word means straightly charge, murmur against, sternly to charge, threaten to enjoin. Now, this is not somebody that is sighing with heavy sorrow. This is not somebody that is groaning, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I just feel so bad. No, it's not that type of a groan. He's groaning against death. Now watch. And the Jews weeping, which also came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, which means to agitate, to cause one inward commotion, to take away his calmness of mind or to stir up. So the Lord Jesus is really affected by what he sees. Now he was troubled so he threw himself, as the Greek words here are used, that he threw himself into a form or a gesture that would be able to express his sorrow and his mourning. So it was more than just a little groan or something there, but it was a visible something. Now either he waved his hands and it was an expression of sadness upon his face, but it was something that was very, very visible. And he changed the form, actually, of his countenance and said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Now remember, according to the Talmud, which was the injection of the five books of Moses and the teachings of the prophets, it was an established law among the Jews that the grave could not be opened after it had been closed. They could not open the grave for any reason. But, of course, when the resurrection says something, then the Talmud don't really matter. Also, it was forbidden by the Talmud for them to be able to walk within four cubits of where the grave was, which would have been six feet, because they would have become contaminated by touching or the smell of the dead body. Now, after so many years, they would have actually a small hole that would be cut in the rock, and after two and a half to three years, depending on the temperature and depending upon the climate, they would actually move this little bitty seeing hole inside of the sepulcher. Now, this is if they were buried in a rock which retained a little bit of its humidity,
humidity, they would move that back and they would peek on the inside and they would see if the body had disappeared because it would rot, of course, first and then it would enter into the molting stage and it would finally go to where the body would turn into dust. Now, these many of these fine uh, sepulchers were made out of solid rock. So it wasn't an easy thing to do. So, say, Brother Terry had a sepulchre and Brother Terry died. Then after a couple of years or three years, four years, whatever more, his son would die. Well, you know, it was quite an expensive thing to have another one hewed out of solid rock. They didn't have dynamite and all kinds of things like we do. So they would move back that little rock and see if Brother Terry's bones had gone back to dust. And if they had, they would go inside there. If they were still in the bone stage, they would actually open it up and they would go inside and they would sweep it all into a box of the dust and then they'd lay his son inside of there. What if his son had a son? Then after three years, four years, five years, they did the same thing. So the sepulcher would have been used over and over and over again. You remember reading the scripture where it says, and he was buried with his fathers? Well, some of them, it was literally that way. They would simply move the bones over or the remnants or the dust, and they would lay the new corpse inside the same place. So he was buried with his fathers. But now here, the Lord Jesus, he said, now where have you laid him? They said, well, well, come and see. Come and see. So they're thinking in their mind that the Lord Jesus wants to be able to come and pay his respects. <laughs> Jesus never preached one funeral. Glory be to God. Death couldn't stand near where he was. So we see him now as he's coming. We don't know exactly because John doesn't tell us or the rest of the gospel writers how far he was from the transition time of where Mary and Martha met him. But now he's going toward the journey. Now, I love this verse and that we read last night, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now imagine as his mind and his spirit began to be moved upon and he felt this as he was coming close and the divinity of the Son of God, the Logos, which had took a human form, did not hide or totally disguise the humanity that was there. So he was able to weep, he was able to cry, he was able to feel pain and sorrow. Now he moves, he's out of season really, because this is day four, so they're into the day of the heavy mourning, and what's there lamenting, and they would, you know, hit themselves on the chest, and they would really carry on a lot of drama that would go into starting with day four through day seven. So Jesus now, he enters into the first stage, because he knows the second stage is not going to be necessary. So he enters into the first stage in order to express to them that he had these human feelings. Of all the human feelings, these are some of the most devastating because it is the weeping that comes from human eyes at the departure of a loved one. Now, we don't find the Lord Jesus weeping whenever he would see folks that were sick. And yet, that would have been a very heart-moving situation, no doubt. He saw Christ. 
crippled people. He saw blind people. Yet none of the gospel writers say that when the Lord Jesus looked upon the blind man, that he wept. Or whenever he looked upon this person that was sick or that one that was sick. But yet whenever he would see something that was catastrophic, something that was going to be devastating, was when the Lord Jesus wept. Now we know of all the human emotions that he expressed, weeping was the one that he expressed the most. So that tells us about the heart of God. So now as he's getting near, closer and closer, you imagine now as he allows his human spirit to enter into their time of sorrow and grief. Now they're perplexed, no doubt about it, as they watch him. And Jesus watches as Mary weeps and Martha weeps. And then the scripture said, and Jesus wept. Now the word here means not to lament or heavy, heavy sobs, but the calm shedding of tears. The calm shedding of tears. So he's just kind of sitting there and the tears are running out of his eyes and coming down on his cheeks and it's quite moving. Even his enemies uh, took note of it and they were really quite moved that the Lord Jesus was weeping in such a way. Let me give you another example. In Luke 19.40, he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones should immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city. Now this is Jerusalem. This is before he's fixing to be crucified, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes, for the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench. Now, no doubt the Lord Jesus is sitting here, even already having previously seen the vision, or he's seeing the vision now, and it is the vision of the Romans besieging Jerusalem. And he sees Titus, no doubt, as Titus rides in, and he sees the city, and he sees the people of the city as they kill one another's children, as they would eat dung, as they would do all kinds of things. And the Lord Jesus begins to weep. As I say, it is one of the most amazing things, it is catastrophic things like this that would bring tears to the eyes of the Son of God. Notice he said, the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. They shall lay thee even with the ground. Prophecy about the walls being knocked down and thy children within thee. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. May God help us that that don't happen to us. Now here again we see the Lord Jesus as he was weeping. This time it was the instance of spiritual death which had, was going to come and affect so many people. But now we find him as he stands there near the tomb 60 years. Now remember John, the gospel of John was written actually while he was on the Isle of Patmos. So it's about 60 years after this event happens and John still being moved no doubt by the freshness of the occurrence of the situation and the Spirit of God impressing it on John. And John felt in his heart to write this shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. 
Praise God. Oh, what, what a sublime thing that we have. That the Son of God, the immaculate conception by the creation of God that was now expressed in human form, knowing that in a few moments from now, Lazarus would be hopping up out of the grave, but yet he allows himself to enter into their human feeling. You know, you and I both have seen people that whenever they have loved ones to die, and there's always those ones that say, oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. It's human to cry when you got loved ones to die unless you're glad to get their inheritance and you're glad they're gone. Well, you say that's meaner than a snake. You ought to be crying worse. That means you're going to hell. That's right. You know, I don't care how spiritual you are. There's something about death that moves upon the heart. Here the Son of God entered himself into this sublime situation of him crying for Lazarus. So his perfect oneness with us to me was sealed in the consummation of the humanity being expressed at this very point of death. But you wonder, now, would not these effects cause him to be moved in a divine way? Would not the human part so move upon the divine part that it would cause a reaction and cause a reversal of this? I'll tell you, friend, he's still moved whenever we lose our loved ones. He's moved when you're standing by the casket of your wife or your son or a daughter or husband, whatever it is, and see the tears coming out. That's why we pray constantly when people pass away that the Lord Jesus will comfort them because he understands. And the church said... He understands. So he assumed our human nature, and it is part of our human nature, if we're right, to be able to love and feel sad and feel sorry for those that pass in our midst. Now watch this. In the church age book, the prophet said his eyes are far. Think of it. Those eyes that were once dim with tears of sorrow and pity. Those eyes that wept with compassion at the grave of Lazarus. Those eyes that saw not the evil of the murderers who hanged him on the cross but in sorrow cried father forgive them now those eyes are a flame of fire the eyes of the judge who will recompense those who rejected him I don't want to seem like that myself of all the human emotions he manifested the most when he appeared as the son of man was this one he wept often he wept Often, Yet behind that weeping and that sorrow, there was still God. Now why was he crying? Notice again, Brother Ram says, he was a man when he was weeping. He went to the grave. He sorrowed with the rest of them that was sorrowful. So he entered in as high priest. He enters into their feeling. I, I, I want to allow myself to know, not only for them, but for you. He knew death was not going to be annihilated from among his children, even though he raised. He knew there was going to be millions that was going to pass. So he wanted to feel how you and I would feel when we lose a loved one and we call upon him. We can be reminded him and say, Lord Jesus, you remember yourself and you stood at the tomb of Lazarus. Please help me. Please help me, Lord Jesus. I need your help. Praise the Lord. Now watch this. He joined with the rest of them that was joyful. But I said he was more than a man. I said he'd been questioned now about Jesus standing at the tomb crying. He went to the grave of Lazarus. He stood there weeping like a man. But when he stood there, listen how he phrases this. 
and pulled his little self together. Do you understand Jesus is probably a smaller man in stature than I am? Jesus was a little fellow. About 130 pounds, probably under six foot tall. Not a great bodybuilder, not a great man who could lift weights. So here he stands at the tomb of Lazarus and he pulls his little self together. So if you're all tore up today, why don't you pull your little, big, medium, whatever size yourself is, why don't you pull yourself together? Oh man said, Lazarus, come forth. And a man that had been four days, oh my, dead for four days. His soul, four days journey somewhere, corruption knew its master. Now watch in verse 36 how the John took note of the Jews' response. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? I love it when he makes his enemies testify how great he is. Now, these were not friends. These were not disciples. These were people that in one sense of the word, this is a form of sarcasm, because they're really criticizing the Lord Jesus and saying, my goodness, this man opened the eyes of the blind. Couldn't he cause this man to, you know, can't you see why God's going to judge them? Can't you see why God's going to judge them? Look at their mouths now as it testifies. Which opened the eyes of the blind. Could he not have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself. Embryum. Embryum. In Mark 14, 5, this word is used, and it says scolds or rebukes. The Lord Jesus is fixing to rebuke something. So now he's not groaning as if crying. He's not groaning. He's angry. And he ain't angry at Lazarus. He ain't angry at Mary and Martha. He's angry at death. Oh, praise the Lord Jesus. Groaning in himself cometh to the cave, or the grave rather. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, praise God. Oh, we're fixing to see a miracle. Glory be to God. God, he's on the scene. Oh, here. Should I read your name there? Lance said. Erica said, Terry said, Wes said. Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. What faith. Wow. What faith. 
As I said, I'm glad the Lord Jesus loves these type of people. That's the majority of the type of people I pastor in Happy Valley. Well, praise the Lord. And you know what? I love every one of you better than sweet pickles. <laughs> now, there's more than lays in this verse than maybe what you and I would see at first glance. Now, remember, it was a cave. And I've stood there at the cave where he was buried. And there was a stone that laid over the mouth of it. Now, you'd think that Jesus a perfect gentleman and his disciples or at least some of the men around would have been asked to roll the stone away but instead the Lord Jesus asked Mary and Martha oh you didn't know that well bless your little heart Jesus told Mary and Martha take ye away the stone See, you've got something to do yourself. Now, we're not talking about a styrofoam stone. This ain't Hollywood. So it ain't a big piece of styrofoam, you know, about six or eight inches thick, and they get out there, no, this is a real rock. What in the world would make the Lord Jesus tell Mary and Martha, all right now, sisters, you all move the rock. Jesus looking at him as he looked at him said, roll away the stone. And the men said, up, oh, up, oh, no. Peter, no, no. John, Matthew, Mark, no. Lord Jesus, you mean you want that? They've got to do something. You see, friend, this is what we don't like. We want God to do it all. We want him not only to raise Lazarus, we want him to move the stone. He could have moved the stone. But works is faith expressed. So you imagine now, here they get a go, push Mary, I'm pushing. Martha, would you hush? It's hard to push when you're trying to keep your hand over your... Would you please help us? No. Jesus, please. No. If you want something to happen, you move the stone. And we go, oh, well, didn't move. Must not be for me. I'm going, I tried. You never done no such a thing. So they push and they grunt and they grunt and they push and they grunt. And finally, comes open a little bit, and when it does, oh, God. Oh, God, I'm about to get sick. That's all right, Jesus. We'll take care of this on our own. Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to us? This is a shame to unveil our brother's stench this way. Master, the sister of him that was dead, says unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead 
four days. <laughs> he said, no, I, I'm also going to marry him. Move the rock. <sighs> I cannot believe this. You're, you're humiliating us by, by unveiling the stench of our brother. And you expect us. You mean I've got to do something in this? Yeah, there'll be times you'll have to actually come to church. Wow, I know it's hard. I know it's so much more fun to go to Walmart. Only if you're an imbecile. <laughs> oh my, just the sight of the dead. They're thinking in the mind. What's he want to do? He just want to look at him? He just wants to look at the body. That, where's her face? Where is her faith and the promise? See, she's got an unsurrendered heart totally to God. Oh, my. Lord, he's stinking. I said, move the rock. All right. You ready, Meg? Have at it. Are we done yet? Oh, but you see, Martha, her language is another secret disclose of her heart. She thinks if Jesus will listen to her advice, he'll be wiser and a better Jesus. Look what she's trying to do. She's trying to counsel him. I wouldn't laugh too loud if I was you since most of us are guilty of the same. We want to tell him how he ought to run our lives and we want to tell him how he ought to run the church and how he ought to run the world and how he ought to do this. Yeah, if he wants to know anything, all he's got to do is just call you up and you'll let him know, right? I mean, we'll let God know how he ought to be doing all this stuff. But apparently he don't figure he needs to. Has God ever text any of y'all? God ever called y'all and asked for any advice or any counsel, I advise you not hold your breath. I'll be preaching your funeral on Wednesday night if you're waiting on God to call you and ask for your advice. He don't need our advice. He does not need our opinion. He wants obedience, and sometimes obedience seems foolish. What Pharisee, what priest would have asked them to do such a humiliating thing? Well, you imagine the scoffers that grabbed out their iPhone and their Android and they're taking pictures of Jesus now telling them to do all that. And that's going to post it on YouTube, of course, on Facebook when they got back home. Can you imagine? You're just loving, wonderful Jesus. And he had poor Mary and Martha whose hearts were broken. And he had them to move the stone. Praise the Lord. Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, and said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Thank you, Martha. Thank you for such a great observation. But I'm glad she said it, actually. John is writing down minute details, which an imposter would never do. 
You see, an imposter hits generalities and leaves minuteness alone. But God loves minute details. <laughs> well, it's four days, which means putrefaction is set in. He's stinking. Notice all these adjectives that John is using before Lazarus is ever raised from the dead. That way it can be proven. Down through the centuries, this was not a hoax. Praise be to God. Now you imagine as they finally are able to move the stone. And Martha and Mary, through much labor and difficulty, able to move it over, and the stench now comes out of there, and it's overwhelming, and the people grab a robe or a blanket or whatever more than just grab anything to try to put up over their hands and face, and Martha and Mary, oh, I've done what you told Jesus. Are you happy now? Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry, friends, y'all have never read this in your Bible. Maybe you should read the Bible more. <laughs> so now the stones rolled away. The stench is awful. The friends are standing around. Everybody's standing around looking. Verse 43. And when he had thus spoken... He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you see, it was the way of the magicians and the jugglers of the ancient times to use magical incantations, but they were always so low and they were whispers and the mixing together of words so you never knew exactly what they were saying. But the Lord Jesus wanted it clear what he was saying. So he didn't pronounce no incantation, no magical potion. Glory be to God. <laughs> but he does call this man's name. Now he is a friend, but it's not just for the reason alone of being a friend. Because if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus, the general resurrection would have took place right there in St. John 11. Hallelujah! And it was not based on the faith of Mary. It was not based on the faith of Martha. It was based on the sovereignty of God by a vision that the Lord Jesus had saw that the Son of God may be glorified. One of these days when you walk down the streets of gold and you look back and realize that God in spite of you, in spite of me, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failures, amen, the reason you'll be there is because of the grace of God. We've given up so many times we've made up our mind we wasn't going no farther and God say how can you stop something you never started? How can you over overcome something that I provincially divided myself. Amen. Notice Brother Branham says, I can hear him scream with a loud voice way out there in the spirit land. Lazarus, I believe if he hadn't have called him by name, there had been the general resurrection right there. 
God. Don't you understand that loud voice that woke Lazarus from the dead? It's the same thing that's going to wake your mama and your daddy and the saints of God that we buried down through the ages. If he had not specified Lazarus, if he would have said, come forth every man from Adam all the way up, oh, glory to God, they would have all raised from the dead. That's the power in the Son of God. And yet Martha is standing there looking at that being and so limited in what she can receive. And he could have called for millions of human beings to raise in a second of time. I wonder how he feels sometimes, friends, when he comes among us. He's sure to heal. He's sure to deliver. He's sure to set free. And he's able to move maybe that much because of our limited faith. And he's got all of this for us. But he can only do as we'll allow him to do. Oh, my. Notice this. Again, the prophet said, I can see him walking down to that place there, to the grave. Said, take you away the stone. Looked like if he'd have been a gentleman, he would have took it away himself. But he asked them women to. Why? You've got to, your part to do. Yes, sir. You've got to do your part. He said, take you away the stone. They took the stone away, and the stink was so bad. They was about to have suffocated on account of that dead human body. Look at the anxiety they're already dealing with. The sorrow, the trauma they're already dealing with. Then the labor of moving the rock and then the stench of that body. Oh, Jesus can look so cruel sometimes. To an untrusting heart. Then I can see him, glory be to God, straighten his little self up again and said, Father, I thank you that thou hearest me always, but for these that stand by us, why I said it, he had already seen the vision. He knew what was going to happen. Then he cried with a loud voice and screamed and said, Lazarus, come forth. I believe, brother, if he hadn't have called him specifically by the name of Lazarus, I believe the general resurrection would have took place right then. I love the way he says this. That's what I think about him. (laughs) Amen. Well, may I add a great big amen to that? That's what I think about him too. That's what I think about him this morning. That same voice is the one that spoke to me and called me out of darkness. That same voice will speak to our bodies one day and we'll raise. That's what I think about it. Listen to this. That's right. I believe the resurrection of every dead thing. Think of it. Not just humans. Every tree. Every flower. Every plant, every animal, every dead thing that ever died would have come out of the grave if he would have just said, come forth. You imagine he is the life. And Martha has to help him. Do what? Pray tell me. What help does a a man like this need? He wants obedience. Well, you would say they had to help him move the rock. They wasn't helping him. He was helping them. You think Jesus couldn't have moved that rock? He could have spoke to that rock. He was helping their faith. 
reach a place of expression toward their own personal need. You sitting around twiddling your thumbs, twiddling your thumbs, waiting on God to do something, and much of it, God's waiting on you. Well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Praying's fine, but sometimes you got to move rocks. He was able to access two dimensions. Now, what about us as human beings? Let's read, if you would, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. The word present actually comes from the ancient Hebrew custom, of course, of presenting a sacrifice. Then it was a dead one. Kill the animal. Take the blood, do so much with the blood, so much with the call, so much with the liver. Bring the body, give it to the priest, allow him to burn it. But Paul runs another spiritual symbol beyond the dead body of an animal. And he wants to bring it to a living sacrifice. You see, there was a type of this in the Old Testament under the name of Isaac. I don't know if you understand it or not, but Isaac, after God had told Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice... And then God created a ram in the thicket. And God allowed Isaac to live. Do you understand from that day forward what he was? A living sacrifice. The scripture teaches us that Abraham offered Isaac. But he was alive. So what was he? A living sacrifice. Oh, glory be to God. He was a living sacrifice. So with all of his heart, Isaac gave up on the altar. Do you understand? Isaac actually gave up. He never kicked. He never fought against his daddy. He entered into the New Testament antitype, which was going to come by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is phenomenal to me. But yet the boy was able to enter into that spot that he would, all right, Father, if this is God's will, I'll do it. If this is what God wants, I'll do it. So what did he do? He raised up off of that altar and lived his life as a living sacrifice because he submitted to die even if God said so whatever God wanted don't you understand that's what he wants for you what are you and I we are that antitype of Isaac that we live our life alright Lord you want to take my house you want to take my car you want to take my money you want to take whatever you want take it Lord I'm willing to give it all that's what Isaac done he was a living sacrifice Sacrifice. Hey, we're alive today to tell the story. Jesus saves. Oh, yeah, it'd been a lot easier when we got to come to the altar and God saved us and filled us with the Holy Ghost and just killed us and took us all to heaven. Well, you get the Holy Ghost, fire comes down, she's kills you and takes you all. all your battles is over, all your tests is over, no more trials, no more failures. But you wouldn't be a testimony as Isaac was that I am a living sacrifice. Now, what's in on the other side of darkness? Satan does exactly the same thing to his people. There's a great parallel that runs here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So on the other side of darkness, Satan does the same thing. So people then that come to the devil, Satan beseeches them. I beseech you all to give me your body as a sacrifice. Do you understand that many will sacrifice their children on an altar on an altar of drinking. 
They'll sacrifice their children on an altar of rock and roll. They don't care what their children wind up being. All they're concerned about is themselves. And they will give their body to become the body of a prostitute. Oh, they'll give their body to become a junkie or a drunk or an alcoholic. Come on, Happy Valley. Don't you see what they're doing? They're doing exactly to the devil what Jesus is wanting you and I to do. He wants us to give our bodies, not to be a drug addict, not to be an alcoholic, not to be a prostitute, but to be a son of God, a daughter of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, and giving our bodies as continual sacrifices every day. So why don't we do it? Unsurrendered hearts. Still so much of us we want to keep back. That we want to retain on our own, you see. Because after all, Jesus needs our guidance. And us being able to tell him what he really needs to do with our lives. And if he'd just sit down and ever write the book, of, you know, read the book that I wrote about me. Of how good I am and how wonderful I am, how great I am. And how just how much Jesus ought to be thankful that I'm even part of his church. You're a nut. You're out of your mind. If you think God needs that from you, you are mentally retarded. You need to be in Woodridge. As a matter of fact, I'll commit you today if you tell me that. You need help. And you need it bad. Do I need the finger in the Gatorade bottle again to remind you of who you are? Get it in your minds, friend. We are nothing without God's grace we are helpless and hopeless so you imagine that Paul as he writes this in Romans now remember the Romans are Gentiles so to them some of this would have been really a strange thing I'm trying to convey to them an animal sacrifice so Paul conveys it by the imagery of the Old Testament animal that they would bring them and of course the animal itself had no say they would pick it out of the animal you know it had been better off actually if it had a flaw in its color a flaw in its hoof a flaw in one ear it would have been much better off had it been flawed because had it been flawed they would have never taken it as a sacrifice its perfection its blameless coat color its seamless woven ability of the wool on the outside absolutely made it a candidate to be offered in the presence of God its flaws would have saved its life its errors about its, its genetics received from mother and father would have kept it from dying because God would not allow them to offer it but because it was one of a kind because it was perfect as we would say and they looked over it and they saw no flaws and there was no blame blemishes in it that within itself spoke of its death don't you understand the same with the Lord Jesus whenever they inspected him and they looked at him his innocence spoke of his death but his death also spoke of my innocence praise God hallelujah his innocence spoke of his death but his death spoke of my innocence and your innocence let me have a few more minutes can I Notice this, so under the gospel dispensation, then the believers become priests. Well, we cannot offer to God. God does not need our help in atonement of sin. But God wants us to present our bodies, not in atonement for sin, but in recognition of what the sin atonement has done. And by us giving our bodies, it is to worship 
and praise and thanksgiving. Then we give our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Now our bodies are absolutely born in sin, shaping iniquity, come of the world, speaking lies, we know that. But the marvel to me about part of this verse is that Paul said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Holy, not W-H-O-L-L-Y, but H-O-L-Y, which is set apart, sanctified, holy and acceptable in the sight of the Lord, which is your reasonable service. When you get it all done, don't think, boy, I've done something, ain't I? No, you've not. All you've done is your reasonable service. Oh, Brother Donnie, I've given up so much for God. I'll tell you one thing. I've done this and that and the other. I don't care what you've done, how many sacrifices you've made. It is your reasonable service. Well, praise the Lord. It's not going to be that God's going to take your body and kill it on the altar and take you to heaven. No. Every day you'll sacrifice. So you walk out them doors there and you get your phone and your Facebook deal went off while you was in church. And oh my goodness, you open it up. So and so said such and such about me on Facebook. Well, they didn't call my name, but everybody and their brother knew who it was. I'll tell you one thing. You drive down the road, honey, let's stop at Bojangles and get some chicken. I'm going home. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell you one thing I'm going to do. Sacrifice. As I've said, Facebook gives everybody a pulpit, women included. Some preachers shouldn't even be on Facebook. They ain't got enough sense to be on there. Whatever happened to turn the other cheek? Whatever happened to praying for your enemies? Whatever happened to the Lord Jesus himself being our example? Come on, happy valley. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Why? Because your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Then it is a living sacrifice as one who raised off of the altar as Isaac and the ram which was called in the thicket gave his life that you might raise off of the altar as far as commitment, you was dead. As far as Abraham was concerned, you was dead. As far as Isaac was concerned, he was dead. But when it come to God, God accepted a ram and Isaac was able to get up off of that altar and said, praise be to God, I am alive because the ram is dead. You and I can say today, we are alive because Christ Jesus died, but he's not dead this morning. He's alive as well. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So our bodies don't belong to us. This is what God wants. Notice this being led of the Holy Spirit in Germany. The prophet said, it's the greatest thing in the world to follow the Holy Spirit to a complete surrendered life. How many would like to have the greatest thing in the world? It's not a mansion. It's not the greatest Lamborghini that was ever made. It's not being a king, a potentate. The greatest thing you could ever attain to is to follow the Holy Spirit to a complete, surrendered life. 
Again, perfect strength. Make a complete surrender. We cannot use one ability. We've got to make a complete surrender. And come to God, you've got to surrender to Him both soul and body and spirit. Everything that you are has to be surrendered to God in order that He can work His will in you and in me. Now that's hard. I know. Because we're always wanting to put our part in. By now he's thinking, Lord, Lord, please don't do this. Lord, you don't know what you're doing. Really? Lord, now if we do this, this is going to be the absolute office mess ever was. Well, he had to make a stinking mess in order to bring Lazarus out of the grave. Well, you admit with me this morning, the glory of God was manifested out of that stinking mess. Well, I just know it's got to be done this way. But as long as you're doing it that way, it's going to be wrong. And God will never use that effort. Maybe with the help of the Lord, we're going to get to it in a few minutes and show you how that God cannot use your ability. The thing of it is, is having nothing you can depend on in your own self. But friends, we all do. We all have something that we can fall back on. Oh, for some of you, it's your faith. You think your faith is so strong. For some of you, it's your legal convictions. I'll never do this. Glory to God. I'll tell you one thing. I've been a Christian for 47 years. I ain't took a Tylenol. I ain't took a bare aspirin. What's that got to do with being a Christian? Sound like to me, you've suffered a lot. Unnecessary. But you see, that's your pride. Anybody's got a headache and there's a pill laying there close that'll help you and you don't take it, you need help. I mean beyond the pill. You know why? You're arrogant. You're arrogant in your own selfishness and your own pride and you think you're expressing faith. Uh, I tell you one thing, you'd been hurting that day when the Lord Jesus spit down on that clay and made a little, little mess of a thing and rubbed it there and he, in the Old Testament he sent Isaiah with a clump of herbs. God used herbs, you imagine? Clump of herbs and figs to be able to put on the cancer that was on the king's body? Hmm. Not one ability. I'll tell you one thing, I've always been, I'm this and I'm that. You're a failure. You're a has-been. A was-been and a not-been without the grace of God. Let me go a little bit farther. I know you can't handle much preaching like this this morning. Notice God will never use that effort. Maybe he said we'll be able to get to it that God cannot use your ability. The thing of it is, is having nothing you can depend on in your own self or anything you can do. Just a complete, total surrender of your weaknesses unto God and say, here I am, have nothing, no ability you can trust in. God cannot use our natural abilities. We've got to get ourselves and our abilities out of the way and surrender to the will and the power of God. And the church said, now you said it, but are you going to do it? That was so easy the way y'all done that. I mean, you just opened your mouth. Amen. But to carry out that amen, to lay aside our pride, our arrogance, our whatever more, and admit we need help. 
Run over just a little bit, Brother Joe, to greater than Solomon's here, paragraph 42. A man surrendered his life to God and trying to walk in the footsteps of God. God makes everything work right for him. <laughs> Go back, Jesus, I thought, with a complete surrender to the devil, if a man may be five times his strength. Now, you imagine when people get demon-possessed, there's a difference, of course, between being anointed and possessed. And when people become so possessed by devils, they actually lose control of their body. You've seen them, and I have as well, where their strength is beyond human. It is supernatural. And they give themselves so over to the devil that the devil is able to use them. This is what he's referencing in. He said that if a man would be able to be five times his strength with a complete surrender to God, what would that do for a man? What would it do to a cripple that's weak in body or can't walk or something if we could just completely yield to the Holy Ghost and give us super strength? Don't you understand what the rapture is? It's us yielding the final phase of mortality and super strength comes from the presence of God and changes our bodies in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The strength of God that's in you is greater than any affliction that can come upon you. There is nothing can overtake you that can supersede you because you are full of superpower. Now, I know they never have my name listed when they list the superpowers. They have Russian, they have China, and they've got American. I've searched every one of them lists. I ain't never seen Donnie there, but they don't realize I'm more powerful than all of Russia. They don't realize a son and daughter of God filled with the Holy Ghost has all the power of heaven behind them. Because when there is no more Russia, you'll still be. When there is no more United States, you will be. Because you are part of the original superpower. Let me close. I love these statements here. May those who are lukewarm, just as much as belonging to church and not a Christian in heart, May they become ashamed of themselves. Come and make a full surrender. And receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Again, in the token, when you fully obey the word of God and full surrender to it, you're entitled to the token. To the token. So then when you have the token in your possession, it's not you. Then when it comes time for you to die, if you go by the way of the grave, you present your token and the fear of death moves back. If you're alive, need to be changed, you present your token. As a matter of fact, your token is so powerful that if you got a lost child, hold that token over that child. Now, you won't change their destiny as far as being bride or, or foolish virgin, all that sort of thing. But God, through you, will be able to demonstrate that. Praise God. You don't have to forfeit them to hell and say, well, I guess they're just going to hell. No, you claim them. Amen. Have the same faith for your family the prophet said that you have for yourself. Come on, church. Amen. 
Why? Because it's you and I being able to recognize our position. Abraham never asked God to make Lot bride, but he asked God to save him. And that's exactly what God done. I told somebody the other night, I really wonder, you know, the rest of Lot's wife, rest of Lot's life rather, did Lot ever wonder how he got out of there? According to the scripture, we have no more proof historically or scripturally that Lot and Abraham ever met again. I wonder if he walked out of there and went to Zoar and he wondered what in the world happened. Did he ever realize it was his uncle standing up there on the hill that he had to thank for his salvation? Don't give up praying on your children. Don't give up praying on that lost husband or that lost wife or, or nephew or whatever more. It might be your prayer that brings them to God. It don't mean you'll make them right, but don't you give up. Well, they're hopeless. They're beyond hope. No, they ain't. They're only hopeless when you say they are. They're only hopeless when you give up, Esther. But don't you give up your right. You surrender what you're, oh, but it looks, I know it may look that way, but surrender what you're looking at. Surrender what you're thinking about. Take that step mess and lay it in the hands of the Lord Jesus and say Lord you're able to bring my boy back to you you're able to get a hold of my daughter and bring her back to a walk with God hallelujah your token is not just for you must have been fearful and very scary and frightening up and down the streets you could feel the fear and the trauma but one little woman had a scarlet colored cord hung out of her window people may have come by and looked at her laughed at her well glory She had received what Brother Branham called the tape boys. But what's amazing is the identification of of that century tape boy was, wasn't a guy that pushed play. But it was a guy who said what the prophet said. That was a real Rahab's tape boy. You don't find them boys turning on no something, playing no play. They step in and say, we're fixing to come in, and if you'll provide us safety, we'll be able to do this and that and the other for you. That was the real tape boys. I'll take them kind. Come on, children. Day in and day out, they waited. The anxiety and the stress was getting so, and they said, what about my mama? What about my daddy? Bring them in under the token. Bring them in. But notice, she couldn't knock them in the head and bring them in against the will. But she would have to be able to convince them that something was fixing to happen and that the move was on. Praise be to God. Here was this Gentile harlot down there in that city of such sin. But yet she said, we have heard that the Lord is with you. We know what God did for you against Og and Bashan and all of that. And we know the whole city is paralyzed because of you. Remember what the devil told their fathers? The devil told their fathers, you can't go and you can't do it. But the truth of it was them people were scared to death. That's how big a liar he is. And you'll listen to him instead of listening to God. God's saying you're able. God's saying you're more than able. But the devil said, no, you can't. No, you can't. But in reality, his demons are terrified. You're going to say yes. His demons are scared to death. You're going to submit your will to God. And they're telling you it's impossible when they themselves are shaking in their boots day one they march around day two 
But on the seventh day, all seven seals broke open. And they shouted with a shout, a great voice. And Jericho started shaking. Now you imagine her house is up on the wall. And the walls are going to fall down flat. She lived in one of the worst places you could think in your mind that a believer could live. I've often wondered, how did God let her house? Did God send out a supernatural elevator and let her house just The whole walls came down everywhere. But she landed in divine comfort. You're talking about an air ride. Why? Because she believed. Look, friends, she didn't have no promise. She didn't have no bunch of quotes in a bunch. She didn't have a pastor and associate pastor and a bunch of deacons and a bunch of trustees to encourage her every Sunday. Oh, come on now, Rahab. Come on, honey, you can do it. Oh, we got such confidence in you. She lived in that city by herself. Her and her family, there was no preacher come in there and encourage her. She heard that message one time and she said, I believe it. I believe it. Why? She was predestinated to eternal life. Brother Caleb, go over to Perfect Strength and Perfect Witness, paragraph 118. We'll close with this. Here's something to console us. Here's something that encourages us. Out of weakness and humility, God chooses the people to build his kingdom out of. And if we ever get to heaven, we ever stand in the presence of God with his church, we will stand with a bunch of people that's been weak and rejected and cast out by the world and know it nothings. <laughs> know it nothings. So if you're a know-it-all, you don't fit in this group. So if you want to go, you better become a know-it-nothing instead of a know-it-all. Isn't it strange that God likened us to sheep, and a sheep is the most helpless thing there is. Nothing so insufficient defense in a sheep. A rabbit can run. A squirrel can get in a tree. A dog can bite. A lion can tear. A horse can kick. A bird can fly. But a sheep stands helpless. And that's the way God wants us. But you said it's that self-defense mechanism that's built up in us. We won't let it go. We always got things that we hold back and keep back. And this is the very thing that's keeping you from becoming what God wants you to be. Because it's you protecting yourself. You watching out for you. Oh, you got to watch out for old number one. Here's number one. Notice this, then God, that's the way he wants us to realize that we are totally insufficient. And listen what God does. God takes that person and begins to mold himself into that person and make his hands do what God would have them hands to do. And make his lips speak what God's lips would speak because they're not his, they're God's. And he begins to build a character and begins to take this weakness to make his own self 
So here comes this person to God, man, woman, boy, or girl. They give their weaknesses, their strengths. They give everything they can at that time. All their securities and all their self-defense mechanisms and all of that. God, I, I give it to you. I, I just, I don't know what to do anymore. I just can't do it. And God said, good, thank you. 385 years now of your life and finally you. <laughs> so they come, they give it to God. They feel all wrung out. They feel all empty. They feel vulnerable. They feel scared. And then this is what God does. God takes that vessel and then God starts emptying himself into it and starts building another image like him inside of that surrendered vessel. That's choice one. Choice two is that you're a Christian. You love God. You don't want to be a, a devil. You don't want to be lost. You don't want to go, to go to hell. But you retain all these things. You go on. You struggle. You try. And you never become that image. Simply because. It's not God don't want it. You don't want it bad enough to let go and release everything you are. To be like Isaac. I'm willing to die. Imagine his little eyes looking up at his daddy. And his daddy with that knife pulled back. Within a moment's time, he's going to kill him. And he says, Daddy, go ahead. Take my life. It pleases God. Oh, may God help us this morning. May we look up this way and say, Daddy, take what I am. My strengths, my weaknesses, my failures, everything I am. Notice, Brother Reverend said, Cain's children become smart, shrewd, educated, great men, builders, professional men. But God's side was weak and humble. That's how God used them. That's God's opportunity. That's God's way of getting to us is when we're weak. Then this encourages us, of course, because God's whole kingdom is built out of these kind of people. Praise God. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, as we stand in your presence today, I pray that you'd help each one of us, Lord, begin with me. Lord, I know I, I feel so insufficient. It's not like I felt insufficient initially when you called me as a boy. And then all of a sudden I gained such confidence. And now I feel so sufficient that I'm able to do the task. Lord, as the task has increased, I feel more insufficient now than I did when I first preached as a boy. I remember the first sermon I preached there at my Uncle Harold's church about Peter warming by the wrong fire, getting under the influence of the wrong people. And by borrowing from the warmth from their fire, he got under the influence of their conversation. I probably didn't preach 15 or 20 minutes. I was a nervous wreck. But now, Lord, here I am, an old man. Preached thousands of sermons. Lord God, I realize I need you more today than I needed you then. Then it was just the eyes of maybe 75, 80, 90 people on me. Now it's the world. Lord God, the load's too hard for me, Jesus. I didn't want this position. 
I still don't want it. But God, I want to do what you want me to do. But I feel insufficient. I know people say, oh, that's crazy. It's because they've never come to the place of surrender that I have. But yet, Lord, it's a place of peace and a place of rest. So when the job and the task becomes more than I can be able to do and comprehend, I have no problem in coming back to you. And you know how many times I've come to you since you sent me here over 30 years ago and reminded you of what you spoke to me to come here. Because you know I didn't want to come here. I was happy in Kentucky. Had people that loved me and they still loved me. We had our little old church together and we're serving you and doing the best we could. I wasn't looking for no place else to go. So Lord, I have to remind you of what you said and remind you of what a weakling that I am. I know, Father, folks that I say, oh, why would a preacher ever say such a thing? Because preachers are supposed to tell the truth. I hope and pray I never get to a spot that I think I can do it. Because I'm headed down and so is our church. Help us all to realize we cannot live this life. We cannot do this walk. We cannot be able to make the rapture without you holding our hand every step of the way. Lord Jesus, may you move by your presence here this morning, Lord. Help each of us to lay our strengths, our weaknesses on the altar. People that may be proud and arrogant and they go to sitting down and drinking a drink. They drink another and another and another according to their ability to handle alcohol. That alcohol will begin to change them. Some will become very aggressive, some loud, some it calms them. They don't want to go no farther, so they stop right there. But they're becoming one with what they're drinking, and they take on the image of that. They're surrendering their senses, their pride. They may get out and make a complete fool of themselves. And then their friend the next day said, you know what you said last night? You know what you done last night? You can't believe how you acted. Because they presented their body to alcohol. They laid their body on the altar of sacrifice. And they sacrificed their pride, their arrogance. Many of them, Lord, if they become an alcoholic, they will not only lay their own life on the altar. They'll take the money that needs to be used to buy their children food. And they'll lay their children on that altar as well. Those that become so addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever more. They ain't just sacrificing themselves, And they become so bound up by it, Lord, they will sacrifice a wife, a husband, a child, family, friends, and yet they think they're having a great time. And they make fun of us. We're just sacrificing to the living God, and they're sacrificing to the devil. The principles are the same. Both of these want us. And both of these require us to make sacrifices. Oh, the lost think they're not, they're not giving up anything. Oh, yes, they are. Many a home has been busted up because a wife, a wife was willing because of alcohol or drug addiction. She was willing to sacrifice her children. Let social services come and get them and put them under foster care and put them here and there and there. 
So she not only sacrificed herself, she sacrificed her children. Many a man has sacrificed. Brother Branham talks about his own brother-in-law, Fletcher Broy. Fine young man, man of a good character. But he said he got to hanging around the wrong ones. Started drinking a little bit. Lost his wife. Lost his children. And when the prophet has that dream, he sees Fletcher in the dream and the city dump. And he said he thought, well, maybe Fletcher needs some money. So he went and looked him up. And he said he found him sleeping in the barn of some guy that traded horses. He said, Fletcher, I got some suits. He said, some old suits. Let me, let me give them to you. He said, no, Brother Bill, no. No, he said, you know what I do with it. He said, he'd pawn it and go get drunk. So Fletcher not only sacrificed himself, he sacrificed his wife, his children. Lord God, help us today, I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening our eyes to help us to know who to sacrifice to. The people of the world make fun of us and ridicule us because we sacrifice so much of what they think they're doing the same thing and even worse, except to Satan. He'll take their body, he'll take their families, he'll take their homes. In the end, he will take their souls. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth. How many would like to be remembered today? Would you just raise your hand to God? Both of mine are up. If you don't have any needs today, would you pray for me? Oh, Brother Donnie, aren't you doing okay? I am. I'm doing wonderful by God's grace. But I don't want to just do wonderful today. I want to continue to do wonderful. Tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, I want my life to be crowned with a testimony that I was faithful all the way to the end. Let's pray together and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, as I stand here today, among a bunch of people who are weak, humble, Lord, we're not ashamed to admit today we need you every hour. We cannot walk this walk. We cannot live this word without you helping us. Father God, may you move on every heart of every man, woman, boy, or girl. Those who will stream the service, those who will go back and archive it. May you help each of us. Take us, Lord, like Martha. Our face may be weak. We may venture to try to advise you and counsel you on how to run your business. Forgive us, Lord. We may be so foolish. How could Martha ever stumble? There was the master, the one who could reverse corruption. As far as we know in the scripture, it had never been done thus that a person had been dead these many days. So it wasn't like the little girl that died that morning you raised her that afternoon. It wasn't like Elisha. But here a man was laying in the dead and putrefaction set in and his body started rotting and his nose fell in. You not only gave him life, but you recreated his nose. And the bugs and whatever more that was in his body, they was just a chomping away. And all of a sudden, their meal was took away from them. Praise God. The stench began to leave that human flesh. 
it turned black and gray and looked awful. And all of a sudden, the heart started beating and the blood started pumping through those veins. And Lazarus stood up and he was wrapped in grave clothes and he hopped out of the sepulcher. Praise be to God because he heard your name. The prophet said, I don't know where he went. And he said, you don't know it either. But all we know is he was out there somewhere. His soul, four days journey. But out there in that regions where he was being held, he heard the voice of the resurrection. The trump of God. Oh, Lord, we want to hear it as well. Help us, Lord Jesus, that we can submit, oh God. We worship you, Lord. Can we just raise our hands? Help us today, Lord. Help us to lay aside our strength. Help us to lay aside our weaknesses. Help us to lay aside our defense mechanism that we're built to protect ourselves so we only let anybody at arm's length, never let anybody very close at all. And we think we're helping ourselves. We're destroying ourselves. We're limiting friends. We're limiting family. And most of all, we're limiting God. But if we'll just drop our hand and say, come, Lord Jesus. Look in every room in my heart. Here's the key to every door. Go down the avenues of my life and open up every door. Walk down every hallway. You have my permission. See what you find, Lord. See if there's anything in my music that grieves you. See if there's anything in the books that I read that bothers you. See if there's anything on the favorites that I've saved on websites that offends you, Lord. See if I've got an attitude, an unforgiving spirit. Search every crook and cranny, every avenue of my heart. I open myself and I become vulnerable into your presence, Lord. Praise God. Praise be to God. Lord, children, do you understand what could happen right here today? Do you understand what could happen here if we would be able to just do that to God? We would walk out of here supercharged Christians. So in touch with the superpower from heaven. All your troubles won't stop. Your difficulties won't stop. But you'll find a power to deal with them that you never had before in your life. Through what? Surrender. I've often wondered how Martha must have felt when Lazarus finally come out and her and Mary ran over there and began to unwrap his body. And that body which had nearly knocked them down with the smell now there was like an aroma of morning glory or the lily of the valley. And they, they embrace him and kiss him. And a few moments before, his nose was rotten and gone. Now his heart is pumping and blood gone through his veins. Praise God. That's my Jesus, friends. I'll tell you what, if alcohol can do it, let's all go out and get drunk. Hey, if alcohol will do that to a man, let's serve alcohol. If money can do it, let's all make money our God. If heroin can do it, let's serve heroin. If church entity can do it, let's serve church entity. 
But you know as well as I do, none of those things that I mentioned can do it or anything else. There's only one that can do it, and that's the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Sing something first, Brother Louis. Praise be to God. Brother Bram said, the case is with us. We're not too weak. The case is with us. We're too strong. We're too strong-headed, too strong in our own head. We know too much. God wants to get that out of us. That's right. We're too strong. We're too strong to yield to him. May God help us. Don't you love him? God bless you. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see the need in Brother Louis' body today. Dear God, every time he gets up here to lead the singing, he's in pain and discomfort. But yet, Lord, he's willing to stand up here and try to do what he can to help lead your people in worship. Lord, to try to create an atmosphere that is conducive to the Word. You see, Lord, what he's doing medically, we thank you for everything that doctors can do to help us. But yet, Lord, sometimes they don't know what to do or the procedure they use does more damage than the help it brings. So, Lord God, I lay my hands on him, and I speak that all-powerful name of Jesus over our brother. Lord, we love Brother Louis. Dear God, in obedience to your word, I'm not going to stand here and try to figure it out. How does it work? I don't know. All I know is it works. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that you touch Brother Louis, Lord. Dear God, may you bring complete deliverance in his body, Father. Touch him, Lord, and make him well. Thank you, Father. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's sing it. Heavenly Father, I pray for Brother Tim. Moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you, you are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship you, thank you, Jesus, oh, you to him. Keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who oh, you that's are. Who you are. Oh, a maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God. That is oh, who Let's keep. 
service Wednesday night. Have you enjoyed church today? Somebody say praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. You are here touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you, I worship you, you are the way maker, miracle work, promise keep, light.
That is who 